What's the true value of DLP? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. We're talking about DLP today, and we're talking with Jared Thorkelson, Principal with DLP Experts, and Tom Clare, Senior Director of Product Marketing with Blue Coat Systems. Jared, Tom, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Just to get us started here, Jared, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and then Tom, chime in right after and tell us a bit about yourself and your background, please. Okay, well, my name is Jared Thorkelson, and my company is DLP Experts. And as the name implies, we are a little bit unique in the industry in that we offer products and services with a focus exclusively on data loss prevention and uh, data protection technologies. And I've been in the technology and security space now for going on 20 years and have spent the last four years focused specifically on data loss prevention. Um, And that's me. I'm Tom Clare. I've been involved with security since the early 90s. Uh, involved with uh, early, originally firewalls, antivirus, visual, uh, virtual private networks. Uh, got involved with Blue Coat in 2003. So I've been around for many years at Blue Coat, involved with our web gateways and proxy solutions. And of course, now the advent of data loss prevention as an option for your web gateway and of course, the other areas for DLP, including email and the network and discovery. Well, good. Let's talk a little bit about the marketplace. And, Jared, I've got a couple questions for you up front. First is, what do you find to be the biggest DLP myths in today's marketplace? Oh, that's an interesting place to start. Um, You know, because the DLP space is really still evolving uh, and it overlaps slightly with so many different um, product offerings like uh, device control, email and web security, um, encryption, and, and consequently, just about any technology company can now claim some small element of DLP in their offering. Uh, in fact, there's one big office supply chain with an extensive listing of what it calls data loss prevention solutions, which include things like removable storage devices, privacy filters um, for computer monitors, and search protectors. And, and so that's an example of, of the the the, uh, the wide net that the term data loss prevention seems to cast, and this really leaves the marketplace very confused about what products really constitute data loss prevention. So the first area of confusion or myth, if you will, is really what constitutes data loss prevention. And without getting into a, a specific definition of DLP, I can say, for example, that an encrypted thumb drive is not DLP, and a lot of vendors would like to, you know, push the the moniker DLP onto all their products. And kind of an extension of this myth is the idea that um, it's possible to address DLP with an add-on uh, to another security product. In reality, most of these solutions cover only uh, one leakage vector. And very often, they do that with uh, limited data detection capability. And uh, in many respects, you know, that just doesn't fit the generally accepted definition of data loss prevention, which typically calls for content awareness. And a lot of these um, these uh, add-on um, uh, DLP products really don't provide that. And then lastly, there's this long-standing notion 
that DLP solutions must be, by definition, architecturally complex. And if you consider how DLP solutions have evolved over the past five or six years, you start to see how the technologies have grown in complexity. And um, what I'm excited about is the new news that there are solutions that address the major requirements of DLP without that added architectural complexity. In fact, um, uh, just recently, uh, to show this contrast, I, I saw two different vendor proposals for a customer's data loss prevention initiative. And one of these solutions, one of the DLP solutions, called for over a dozen separate servers, and the other solution called for just two. So you can see that contrast between over a dozen and, and two servers, you know, that's kind of uh, um, the way the marketplace is going, I see. Now, Jerry, you and I have talked offline a little bit, and you've described a paradigm shift. Describe for our audience, please, what has been the DLP paradigm shift you've seen? Well, you know, it actually ties into the, the myths that I just mentioned and, and referred to earlier. Um, these really constitute the, the DLP paradigm shift. And, you know, the original thinking on DLP or the original paradigm, if you will, was one that addressed just a single component. And, and I, as I look back in, in my experience in, in uh, security, there were a lot of email security vendors in the marketplace that could do some, um, you know, through regular expression patterns and those kinds of things. They could do a little bit of, of the DLP equation. And uh, so that was kind of the, the first paradigm. And while this was very simple, it didn't address the complete requirements for preventing data loss. And as the marketplace has evolved, you know, those requirements have grown. And over time, vendors created more complete solutions, which resulted in what we know today as the first-generation DLP solutions, which typically are modular, multi-server approaches. And, and what that means is, one box for monitoring, another for blocking, uh, another for discovery, and so on. And, and this is the architectural complexity I referred to earlier. So the paradigm shift we're actually witnessing today is, you know, it's really driven by the end user requirement of more simple DLP enforcement technologies. And, um, you know, this paradigm shift is, is being reacted to by each vendor differently. Um, and uh, it's interesting to see the varied responses from those vendors. One more question for you, Jared. Then I want to bring Tom into the discussion as well. Given the dynamics you've just laid out for us, how does an organization know when its DLP solution is effective? Uh, that's, a, that's a very difficult question to, to answer because by the very nature of data loss prevention, you really don't know what, what sensitive data might be leaking from your company until you actually deploy some form of uh, either uh, DLP monitoring or, or enforcement. Um, actually, I take that back. I guess there's one way you'll know if you're leaking sensitive data without even uh, DLP technology, and that's when the FBI shows up at your office. And and that's a very, it's a very serious situation, and... and uh, you know, when somebody shows up with a list of uh, your customers that whose data has leaked, that's problematic. But but seriously, you'll really only know when your DLP solution is effective when you deploy it and start to see the reports of, of what's been prevented from leaking. And that's a, a big distinction as well. 
not just what's been detected, but what has actually been prevented. And a lot of uh, companies, uh, you know, we talk about DSP, the piece for prevention, but the reality is that most leaders focus on data loss detection, and then a lot of companies, for a number of different reasons, maintain that, that idea of data loss detection and really don't move into the prevention stage like I feel they should. Very good. And again, I want to bring Tom Clare into this now. Uh, Tom, you and I have spoken offline as well, and you've talked about second-generation DLP solutions. Why don't you outline for us what you see as the hallmarks of these second-generation solutions? Yeah, one of the key things Jared kind of foreshadowed was the reduction of the architectural complexity. So we, we moved to an appliance form factor. Uh, the appliance and the software within it are all pre-built, ready to go. So appliance ready, policy ready. And it's a multi-purpose purpose solution. You can use it for discovery, uh, discovery to fingerprint your data, go off and do that to find rogue data locations, and of course, update your policy. That can be repurposed for email monitoring and protection, web email monitoring protection, or network. Um, and so again, a multi-purpose appliance architecture, um, dedicated, you know, high high performance on uh, you know dual six-core CPUs, uh, memory up around 24 gig or higher. Uh, boxes that can handle enterprise-level fingerprinting. It's, it's very intensive. It's, it's a lot like antivirus. You're, you're building signatures. Uh, fingerprinting is just like signatures with your confidential data, and you're going to go ahead and hit some very, very large content management servers and try and locate rogue locations of that to rein in your policies. So you end up knowing where your data is, and you have very consistent policies. The other key thing is, you know, the basic features, again, content-aware DLP, it's not the simple stuff. You know, pattern matching, lexicons, regular expressions, higher false positives and issues there. So it is actually true data fingerprinting, content aware, multi-byte support enabled so it can handle international languages, which are, is a reality in all the cities we live in today. Uh, we're not just uh, centralized on specific languages. Um, and so that's a key hallmark right there. That allows the situation Jared described earlier where you saw a bid and there's two appliances, which were most likely next-generation DLP, versus 12 servers. And the reason there were 12 is one was dedicated just to email monitoring and then email protect. Uh, the company would have to acquire the software, acquire the hardware, acquire the databases, assemble all that together, and the issue there is it's not redeployable. Um, and so as you go through the phases of DLP, you're probably going to want to move things around. You're going to be pretty intense on discovery the initial phases, you know, a lot of hardware, a lot of processing, data discovery. If you can't repurpose the systems, it just puts in a layer of complexity from the first generation you really don't need. So that's a quick definition. Multi-purpose, high-performance, ready to deploy. So Jared talked about when a DLP solution is deemed effective. Give us some insight in when does an organization start to see the benefits of these DLP solutions? Yeah, DLP, there's really there's two topics. There's efficiency and there's effectiveness. Obviously, second generation is going to give you some efficiency right off the bat. Uh, you can rack up appliance and go. But there's this, there's this valley of processing you have to go through with DLP. Um, a lot of companies get kind of stuck in the middle. If you look at the research from over 100 companies with best practices on DLP, uh, they started out with a focus to protect the brand, uh, they want to protect their trust and relationship with their customers or business partners. They just weren't reacting to compliance or instances. So, again, very proactive. Um, they had consistent policies for data and use, data in motion, all the different locations. And so 
some organizations are worldwide, a lot of locations it's hard to do, but a complex environment is still going to have to have consistent policies. So even before you get around the technology in the second generation appliance, you have to understand your, your consistent policies, and then the best-in-class, best-practice organizations completed discovery. Uh, they just didn't put up a monitoring gateway and start looking at patterns and things like that, like you see with simple DLP. They went and did the work, did the fingerprinting, uh, they found all the road locations, rein things in and develop consistent policies. They also use solutions that would, would educate the user, um, and they moved to automated prevention. And we'll talk about uh, some of that in a little bit about some of the results. But I think the key thing with best practices is know your data is and develop your consistent policies. And that starts right away with discovery. So the benefits are immediate, um, so let's move into what we want to call ROI as the second part. Well, that's exactly where I wanted to go with this. It seems pretty easy to build a business case for investing in DLP, but where and how do you start to get back that ROI, as you mentioned? Yeah, that's the second half. So again, back to that efficiency and that effectiveness. So we just covered efficiency, but effectiveness is, is really interesting. And the, the studies is over, the one study is pretty large, over 100 different organizations. Um, and what we saw was that you can get stuck in this valley. If you, if you use monitoring only, uh, if you use practices to notify users and kind of coaching type stuff, the incident rate over a year didn't change or go down, and that you really saw a reduction in DLP incidences when you move to automated prevention. And so here you've got your email and your, your web gateway set up. You, you are doing the monitoring when you see a violation. There are consistent policies. You go ahead and block that and notify the user appropriately with an alert that that's following transactions not allowed due to a policy that's known and communicated and aware of the organization at large. So in the study, there was a 5x increase. Um, when you, when, you know, if, you, if you had monitoring and, and notify you only, you're you up quite a bit higher. You got that 5x reduction when you went to automated prevention. And so here you start to see your return on investment. So one of the, the worst scenarios for a customer is to have the situation where there's known data loss, to invest in a lot of technology, and then get stuck in the middle, kind of that discovery monitoring phase, never make it all the way across that DLP valley uh, into automated prevention where you start to see the return on investment. So worst case scenario, you're stuck in the middle, you spend a lot of money on technology, you still have DLP incidences, which you're probably dealing with, uh, and you haven't got the return on investment. So you kind of have this crawl, walk, run, uh, whatever process it takes for your organization to get to automated prevention and then you see a huge reduction in incidences, and you see a best practice situation. Tom, that's a great explanation. Uh, to wrap things up here, I've got a, a final question for each of you, and Jared, I'm going to throw this your way first. As we head into 2011 now, what do you see as the biggest DLP trends? Well, um, I would have to say that uh, what I'm starting to see is an increase, an overall increase in not just uh, the interest in DLP, but actual activity and, and initiatives. Organizations are actually deploying uh, a DLP in a way that they haven't in past years. DLP is one of those technologies they said, uh, you know, for years it was going to be the year of DLP. I think 2011 may turn out to be that year of DLP. And along with that increased uh, deployment rate, is a push downward to smaller sized organizations. DLP started with the, the biggest companies in the world who had to have DLP almost at any cost. 
now it's kind of filtering down to smaller sized organizations. And when I say smaller, I'm not talking about 50 user organizations necessarily. I'm talking about, you know, 10,000, 5,000, 2,500 user organizations. So that's what I see happening in 2011. A lot more activity and uh, movement downward uh, to smaller companies. Very good. And Tom, the same question for you. What are the DLP trends you're looking at as we head into next year? Yeah, one of, one of the hallmarks is going to be that focus on TCO, total cost of operations, what's my return on investment. You see those questions quickly. A lot of early DLP is known for having high professional services, upwards of two to four times the original product cost. And this prohibits a lot of organizations from entering a DLP project. Just the, the financial wall of entry is just too high to climb. And what we're seeing with the second generation appliances, which are more efficient, uh, we can offer licensing just for discovery. So here, get a couple appliances ready to deploy. Go ahead, do your fingerprint, do your discovery, and you can pay just for that licensing and get in a much lower cost of entry, knowing that you can purpose the solution of that appliance if it wants to become email or, or web-based uh, for automated prevention as I talked about. Another key thing is, is been involved with security for 20 years, and at Bluecoat, we have over um, 70 million users in a cloud-based defense, and so we're very aware of what's happening with Internet use and, and trends. One of the key things we're seeing is a big downward shift of web-based email. It used to be number five a year ago, now it's down to number nine. And, and where the herd or the crowd is moving is social networking, which now ranks as our number one category and represents well over 25% of the web traffic that we get blue belt. And so I think people are going to start seeing as we see the, the trend in society towards social networking, new forms of communication, that the avenues for data loss are, are changing. I think it started out, a lot of people were focused on email gateways, but we're seeing a big shift in communication. The web gateway is becoming very important, and again, that all wraps back to the key points we made here. So those are the trends I expect people to latch on to. Lower cost of operations, better ROI, more efficiency, and then recognizing their communication is becoming more social networking based. Great insight, Tom. Jared, I appreciate your thoughts today. Thank you. We've been talking about data loss prevention. We've been talking with Jared Thorkelson, Principal with DLP Experts, and Tom Clare, Senior Director of Product Marketing with Blue Coat Systems. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.